heads up, because you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. Coming up in this edition, the abject failure of not one, not two, but three 100-win teams in the NLB playoffs bounced. How the Dodgers, Braves, and Orioles all failed to get out of the divisional round. We'll also look at the ALCS and how there's a Texas two-step with the Astros and the Rangers going head up to the AL crown. Are the Las Vegas Aces the next WNBA dynasty? Take a look at in depth as they're up 2-0 on the Liberty going into Game 3 on Sunday. We'll have the Woodwood Hot 5 as well as Hot Fat Dap, Head Slap, Final Work from the Wood. NFL Week 6, we're all over the place. It's your usual crazy week in sports from the Hoodwood. Just put your crash helmet on, buckle your seatbelts, and get ready. Sports from the Hoodwood's coming at you. Let's go. Crazy Major League Baseball playoffs. If it's October, you know it's going to be some craziness. You know it's going to be some magic. And if you've won 100 games, you're not guaranteed anything. It used to be if you won 100 games in Major League Baseball, you were a damn good team. And that I wouldn't say that dominance was guaranteed, but you look at teams... At least I looked at them, the teams that won 100 games when I was coming up. You know, the 84 Tigers, the, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of teams, and I'll cut that out. But you look at dominant teams winning 100 games, that's over 60% of your games. That is domination. That is a hallmark of a good club. Now, in Major League Baseball, you had three teams that won over 100 games. The Baltimore Orioles, who won 101 games and then won the AL East. The Los Angeles Dodgers, who won 100 games even, winning the NL West by 16 games. And the Atlanta Braves, with the best record in baseball at 104-58, winning the A I almost said AL, winning the NL East by 14 games over the Philadelphia Phillies. All three of the aforementioned teams are out, having been eliminated, and with the cases of the Orioles and the Dodgers, swept. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the Texas Rangers, who swept up the Orioles, or the Diamondbacks, relative playoff neophytes, but bouncing the Dodgers in a three-game sweep. Then the Phillies and the Braves have had a, have had a long-standing rivalry in that division for quite a while and have had numerous playoff head-ups. The problem is that the Braves, every time it seems they get against the Phillies, they pucker up. And it's like, what's going on? The Braves were the dominant team. Ronald Acuna Jr. may very well win most valuable play. I think he should. But once again, playoff failures. For the second year in a row, the Braves got to the Divisional Series, having been dominant in the NL East, running across a scrappy Phillies team, and the Braves come up snake eyes. For the second time, the Braves have won over 100 games and have nothing to show for it. Not even a pennant. Not even an NL pennant. Meanwhile, out West, you know I'm getting tired of the Dodgers. 
I'm, I'm really getting tired of them. For 11 straight years, they have won the NL West. 11 straight years. You know how many World Series they have to show for it? One. I'm not talking about appearances. They have two. I'm talking about World Series titles. And they did that in the COVID shorted 20 season. And a lot of people want to put an asterisk by that because they figured if they had played a full season, sure they would have won 100 games, 90 to 100 games. But they would have gotten the playoffs and collapsed. Sooner or later, Dave Roberts is going to have to answer for this. His, his team's repeated failures in October. Clayton Kershaw, one of our generation's most dominant pitchers, time and time again goes flat in the postseason. No bigger than game one of the divisional series where he didn't even have the first inning. Did not get out of the first inning, people. Are you, are you comprehending this? Two-thirds of an inning. And he gave up six runs. And I'm taking nothing away from the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're a good young team. But this team won 84 games. This team barely made the postseason. It took the young Reds basically blowing a, a, a tire in September and the Cubs collapsing. For the, for the Diamondbacks to be able to get in and get that that uh, that six seed. And they were supposed to be run out by the Brewers, who were the three seed. Diamondbacks shrugged, went to Milwaukee, won both games. Did break a sweat. The Diamondbacks have played one home playoff game in the playoffs so far, people. One. They have won four games on the road. So it lends credence to this NLCS, which will start Monday. The Phillies, who have played out lights out at home, they have won all four of their home games, beating the Marlins in the first round, sweeping them out. And then after taking a game in Atlanta, winning two games in Philly before their crazy crowd. So you have... The Diamondbacks, who have won all of their four of their five playoff games on the road and have yet to be beaten on the road, and the Phillies, the immovable object, that have won all of their home games so far in the playoffs. This is shaping up to be a very interesting playoff series. Now, the pundits are all going to say, Oh, there's no New York team in there. There's no Chicago team. There's no big market. Watch me. This is a series that you should watch. The Phillies are the defending National League champions. Do not forget that. They got to the World Series with that same kind of scrappy, timely hitting, can hit the cover off a ball. These cats hit home runs, and they hit them often. And you have the Diamondbacks, who, like I said, young, scrappy, a lot of no-names on this team. They barely made it, but they got into the postseason, and they've made their postseason post appearances count. This is going to be a team that's going to be really, really fun to watch going forward. Now, about the Dodgers, the Braves, the Orioles, and we'll talk about the Orioles here in just a moment, if I can ever get focused. Ah, there I am. <laughs> I'll cut that out. But the Orioles weren't expected to do much. Yes, they won 101 games, but you knew sooner or later everything was going to catch up with them. Same way it caught up with the Rays. Both of those teams, relatively inexperienced when it came to the playoffs, and it showed. The Texas Rangers blew a tire didn't didn't win the division, but it didn't matter. You have the four teams that are left in the playoffs. The Phillies, the Rangers, the Astros, and the Diamondbacks. The first three have won 90 games. The latter won 84. Where are the 100-win teams? Sitting on the sidelines.
You want to do a Texas two-step? Well, let's think about that. The Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers are going to go head up for the American League crown. The first time that these two interstate rivals will be facing in the playoffs. Now, the Rangers and the Astros really haven't become big rivals until the Astros moved to the American League uh, about a dozen years ago. And they've always had the go the the golden boot when they played each other from first and interleague, and now as divisional rivals. But now the stakes are higher. And I mentioned Max Scherzer of the Rangers, but he is unavailable. Oh, so the dream matchup of Verlander versus Scherzer in first game of the ALCS is going by the boards. But that's not to say that the Rangers don't have the tools and the talent to get by the Astros and get to only their third World Series in franchise history and conceding their first one, even though they lost to the Giants and the Cardinals in 10 and 11, respectively. That being said, the Astros are the defending World Series champions. And Dusty Baker just seems to always have that knack of getting those right players in the right positions to get the maximum amount of ability. Astros are good all the way around. And this is a team that you, you, you take them for granted after a while. This is their seventh consecutive ALCS. That's the most by any team in the American League, or actually American or National League. No team has made more consecutive league championship series in a row than the Astros and being their seventh. You just have gotten so used to them being in October. Whether it be managed by A.J. Hinch, now by Dusty Baker, but this team seems to play its best when it gets to October. And my poor twins, after splitting the first two games in Houston, you're thinking the game, the series is going back to Minnesota and the twins have a puncher's chance. Well, they got punched in the mouth. The Astros came ready to play, and what little chance the Twins had, Astros shut them down. And that, that, that the ninth inning of that fourth game where the side was struck out, where Presley just, boom, strike three, boom, strike three, boom. It's like, I'm sitting here watching the game and just going, I'm depressed. But, the Rangers and the Astros going head up is not going to excite the national polls. It's not going to excite many people outside of the state of Texas. But like the Phillies and Diamondbacks and the NLCS, this is going to be good baseball. These two teams have a healthy dislike for one another. And it's not dislike like the, the Phillies and Braves who were having staring matches at one another. But still... These two teams have a healthy rivalry and that you're going to have games of the highest rank. This is high-stake baseball. And the quality of play is only going to go up. And this is going to be something that I'm going to be excited to watch. Game 1, Sunday night, 8-15, Game 1 on Fox. So you're going to have the NL and the AL basically alternating days for the next seven. At least next four to five days. I'm excited for it. And then I'm going to go out on a limb and it's not going to make anybody happy, but I think we're going to have a World Series rematch with the Phillies and the Astros pushing aside their respective opponents to face off again. It's going to be like, you again? Yes, you again. Houston and Philly will go head up for the World Series in about seven to ten days. You heard it here first. Let's take a timeout come back and look at the burning question. I shouldn't say burning question. Are the Las Vegas Aces the next WNBA dynasty? What comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at gottagetmarriednow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at gottogetmarriednow.com.
information for no-nonsense commentary, analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. And here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact-checks, your host, KJ Green. Sophie asked the question, is load management a course offered at Hoodwood University? I haven't looked through the course curriculum lately, so I'm not sure, and I don't think so, but where Snuffy is trying to make a kind of a joke, the question of load management is being bandied about for NBA players. And in regards that the NBA season starting next week, stretching through an 82-game season, players are now being strongly encouraged to play as many games as possible and try to play up to 82 games in a season. Last year, only nine, and I make the emphasis like the uh, Principal Rooney in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, nine players. Nine players played 82 games, all 82 games in the NBA season, with uh, Michael Bridges actually playing 83 games because he was traded midway through the season, and the team that he went to hadn't played as many games. So he ended up playing an extra, extra game in the season. He played all the games on his uh, on his team's docket. That being said, you always notice that there were teams that always managed to rest their players. The San Antonio Spurs were notorious for that in the days of Pop, Timmy D, uh, Mano Ginobili, and, and, and Tony Parker that the players sometimes would just take games off, take a rest. The the Warriors and the Nuggets were notorious for sitting their superstars out, especially on the road, where a lot of players would make one appearance in this particular city, but skip that, that game. And you have a lot of disappointed fans that would pay good money to see somebody like Steph Curry or Nikola Jurkic, and they would play. They would be resting. Now, I can understand players being hurt, sitting out. being You know, that's the kind of chance that you have to take. But there are times where players are perfectly healthy and they just don't feel like playing or they need the rest. They need low management. Now, the NBA has been a little bit more cognizant of it in the way they schedule their games. They used to start their their season a little bit later in the sea in the in the calendar year closer to early November and cram as many games as they could into about a five and a half month schedule now the season starts a little earlier and stretches out a little bit later into April but the schedule is a lot more kinder you don't see three games in three days or three games in four days or four games in five days. They're still going to play back-to-backs. That's going to happen. But you don't see a crazy stretch of scheduling. And the NBA has always tried to take into consideration the travel. Because NBA players do travel a lot. And they travel more than their football or baseball counterparts. I mean, baseball, they camp in a city for three or four days in a stretch. The home team oftentimes have homestands up nine and ten days. Football players only play once a week. Now, without, you know, traveling to somewhere like London or something, not being the outlier, but the travel demands of NFL and and, uh, MLB teams are a lot less than they are NBA. The only sport I would think that would be comparable to the NBA is the NHL, and the NHL their season stretches a little bit longer, though they play this about the same number of games, and their travel demands aren't as stringent. The Eastern Conference teams play a lot more East uh, Conference games, and Western Conference play a lot more Western Conference, and they do, don't do play every team in the opposite conference. The NBA, all the teams end up playing in every city. And the question of load management continues to be thrown about. Now, some of the executives in the NBA are trying to, again, strongly encourage players to play as many games as possible and try to focus on playing 82 games in a season. Are the players really going to go for it? And of course, what's the underlying thing of this all? Money. The NBA's media contract is going to be coming due, not at the end of 
this season, but next season. And with an eye on new media deals and more money, the NBA is trying to get its best product forward to be able to get better media deals. So that means companies like TNT, ESPN, those companies will be willing to pony up a lot more money for their media rights deals. When you put your best product forward, you'll be able to demand a lot more money. This, in turn, is pushing the players to play a lot more. Will they go for it? Will they do it? Or will they be kind of, you know, leaning on the players' checkbooks by telling them, okay, play or else? It's a very fine line in between the two of playing somebody too much and being overbearing and not putting out the product that you want to be able to put in the front uh, the front of your league and try to get as many much popularity, as many eyes on the product as possible. It's a very delicate situation, to say the least. Are we looking at a dynasty? I mean, seriously, though. The Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA are making a mockery of the WNBA Finals. And I touted that this was supposed to be a dream matchup, that the two best teams in the WNBA were going head up with the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty. But for the New York Liberty, this dream matchup is turning into a nightmare. The Aces are up two games to none, having just flat out dusted the Liberty in both games in, in, uh, in Vegas. Winning game one, 99-82. Absolutely, you know, it was a tight game for a while, but then the, the, the Aces just started wearing them out, wearing them out. And you, I, I told you, and we all know who Snuffy's favorite player is, Ija Wilson, of course, in the middle of the mix again. But Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum both dropping 26 points each. The New York Liberty... They're a good squad, and I and, and I've always liked like like the Breeze, you know, Brianna Stewart and Sabrina Ionescu. But Brianna Ionescu was missing in action, only seven points. Brianna Stewart at twenty-one to lead the Liberty in Game One, but it was just too much aces, and the aces were just too dominant, too quick. And then you figure, okay, Game One, no big deal. Game two is going to be, you know, we're going to see if the Liberty can get some get back. No. The Aces came out smoking. And I know you want to say the, 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 the corny line smoking Aces, but they weren't joking. <laughs> like that rhyme there. You like that, Snuffy? I figured you would like that one. But anyway, the Aces came out 38-19 to 19 in the first quarter and made the game an absolute joke. They flat ran the Liberty out of the building. Winning 104-76, you had four players, um, I beg your pardon, uh, five, uh, four players in double figures, three of them with 20-plus points. There, and Mama, it's that woman again, Aja Wilson, again, 26 points, 15 rebounds, an absolutely dominating performance. Game three is in Brooklyn on Sunday. And if the Liberty don't get no get back, if they don't get their mind right, this series will be over. I'm talking a three-game sweep. Shh, done. This game, this series might be over before we get back together again. And I was hoping that the Liberty was going to show the Aces something, take the fight to them, but it's been all Aces, and it's just nothing but snake eyes for the Liberty. I mean, talk about a, a, just a jinxed franchise. They were a marquee team when the WNBA WNBA first came online in the late 90s, but they could never get over the hump. They could never win, win the title. And now, with their best team in quite a while, looking elimination in the face, will they shirk their responsibilities? Will they shrink from the spotlight? Will they get swept at home? I still think the Liberty can steal a game or two, but if they don't win Sunday, it's a wrap. It's a three-game sweep. And then we got to start talking about, are the Aces able to write their names in with the legendary teams of the WNBA? Are they going to be able to be talked about with 
the the old Houston Comets. That was a great team. That that was just a, 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 a just Cheryl Swoops, uh, the Spoons. Just it was oh man, that was a great squad. Or the Minnesota Lynx. Now those ladies knew how to kick butt. They won a couple, a couple, about four titles in five years. That was a dominant team. Will the Aces, if they win, and especially if they sweep, will they be able to be in that same breath? I would think so. But I still think the Liberty might be able to show you something and be able to come back and make this a real series. I don't think it'll. I don't think that the, the Aces will lose three straight. But weird things have happened, in, in, especially when you talk about playoffs. Let's take a timeout. Come back with the NFL Week 6 picks. Didn't do too bad last week. Maybe I can just keep knocking on wood and continue a good roll. Sports from the Hoodwood comes back at you after this. I'm actor Rajim A. Gross. Some of the studios would like to scan our images and only pay us for one day's worth of work and be able to use our likenesses, our voices, our mannerisms as computer-generated characters, not only in the movie that we might be filming in, but in all future films as well. That's not fair. And I thank the SAG board members that are fighting for my rights as an actor to work on a union film. So I just want to say, standing in complete solidarity with everyone, thank you. tuned in to sports from the hood wood the internet's foremost location for opinion analysis and insight on the world of sports here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and four canadian provinces and not to mention guam your host kj green you are back in the hood wood my name is kj green and let's get into the nfl picks for week six now i'm not complaining about an 11 win week at and for once, the trifecta of the lock, upset, and Thursday night pick all came down good. Go figure. Locks are usually easy to spot, though I can pick some dumb ones and call them locks. Yes, I'm looking at you, Cowboys Week 3, going into Arizona and absolutely laying an egg. Other good ones on the docket, why I decided the Pokes were going to be a big pick, I have no idea. But... I have the constant goal of maintaining or improving my prognostication prowess, and I present to you, for your review, perusal, and approval, the Week 6 Picks. As usual, the odds are provided by ESPN for your entertainment and comparison purposes only, which means that you must bet at your own risk. Don't look at me if the lines are laid and you lose them. My bills are worth more to be paid than trying to front you ducats to pay the bookies. Now note that the 2-3 and three Packers, who lost last week to the Raiders 17-13, and the 3-2 and two Steelers, who defeated the Ravens 17-10, are on their respective buys this week. The times are all Eastern time, and check your local listings for the games that are in the area, in your area. And of course, you can consult the fine folks at 506 Sports, who has an excellent coverage map for the games that will be played and shown in your area. Let's start out with the games of Sunday, October 15th. This is a Fox doubleheader weekend. First game on the docket is another game in London. The 3-2 Ravens taking on the 2-3 Titans at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London. 9.30 a.m. kickoff on NFL Network. The Ravens are four-point favorites. Last week, the Ravens lost to the Steelers 17-10, while the Titans lost to the Colts 23-16. Fast fact is the Titans have scored fewer than 30 points in 23 straight games. That is the longest active streak 
in the NFL. Now, both of these teams are really hard to figure out. The Ravens looked like that they were ready to really take control of AFC North and then crumbled against the Steelers. From week to week, you do not know what team of the Titans are going to show up. The one that dominated the Bengals, the one that couldn't get out of its own way against the Colts. This game in London is a tough call to make. I'm going to flip a coin and go with Baltimore. The pick is the Ravens. Let's get the mainland for the 1 o'clock games. The 3-2 Commanders taking on the 3-2 Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Falcons are 2.5 point favorites. Last week, the Commanders lost to the Bears 40-20, while the Falcons defeated the Texans 21-19. Fast fact here is Falcons quarterback Desmond Ritter completed a career-high 28 passes and 329 yards in last week's win against the Texans. Now the Commanders got steamrolled again, this time in an embarrassing effort at home against the lowly Bears, and have had to stew on it for a few days. They head to the Dirty Dirty South to face a Falcon squad that tried to give away a winnable game against the Texans, but escaped with a win at the gun. This game, I feel, comes down to home field. If this game was in D.C., I wouldn't trust the Falcons for anything. But the Commanders find ways to lose games that they are clearly the better squad. They won't this time. Desmond Ritter continues to win games at home. The pick here is Atlanta. Next on the docket, we have the 3-1 Seahawks taking on the 2-3 Bengals at Pecor Stadium in Cincinnati. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Bengals are three-point favorites. Last week, the Seahawks were on their bye while the Bengals defeated the Cardinals 34-20. Fast fact here is the Bengals have six straight wins against NFC opponents, the longest in the AFC. Now, the Seahawks travel east again to face another uneven squad in the Bengals. The Bengals woke their, dom uh, their once dormant offense in a fairly easy road win against the hapless cards. I have no faith in the consistency of that said offense. Now, Joe Burrow makes plays happen when he's able to move about the pocket and cause havoc. Something tells me that this won't be the case. And the talented, though young, Seahawks defense will force him into a couple of costly mistakes. The pick here is Seattle. That is the Hoodwood upset of the week. Next on the docket, we have the 1-4 Vikings taking on the 1-4 Bears. At Soldier Field in Chicago, 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Vikings are 2.5 point favorites. Last week, the Vikings lost to the Chiefs 27-20, while the Bears defeated the Commanders 40-20. Fast fact is that all of the Vikings games have been one-score games. In fact, they were 11-0 in one-score games last year. They are 1-4 in such games this year. Now the Vikings found another way to lose a game that they really could have won and head to the midway to take on the Bears, rejuvenated after a primetime beatdown of the Commanders in the nation's capital. Without Justin Jefferson, the Vikings offense is severely throttled back. That said, the Bears are not a good team. I think that feels the more combination is a mirage. And they will find a way to screw up a good situation. The Vikes will grind out a way to get a win. The pick here is Minnesota. I'm going to regret that, but I'm going to continue to go with that. Next on the docket, we have the 3-2 Colts taking on the 3-2 Jaguars at Everbank Stadium in Jacksonville. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Jaguars are four-point favorites. Last week, the Colts defeated the Titans 23-16, while the Jaguars defeated the Bills 25-20. Fast fact is the Colts have lost their last eight road games against the Jaguars. Now, the Colts have been surprisingly competitive, stealing road wins at Houston and Baltimore. Now, they head to Duval to face the Jags, who are the home team for the fourth straight game. But this is their first home game in Jacksonville in three weeks. Now, the Colts will be without top draft draft pick quarterback Anthony Richardson for a bit of a uh, bit of a spell and hope that the well-traveled vet Gardner Minshew, is he still in this league? Yeah, I guess he is. And I hope that Minshew can help break their road jinx in Jacksonville. Though the former Jag was a bit of the reason why the Colts hadn't won at Everbank and in the last few years. 
The Colts are getting Jonathan Taylor back up to speed, but the strong play of Zach Moss allows them to bring Taylor along at a controlled pace. I think the Colts offense will find the sledding a little bit tougher against a decent Jags defense, and I'm tempted to call the upset here, but I've already played that card against a team still adjusting to being back in the States after a two-week jaunt in London, but I'll gamble that the Jacksonville Jaguars are the overall better team. The pick is Jacksonville. Next on the docket, we have the 0-5 Panthers taking on the 4-1 Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Dolphins are 12-point favorites. Last week, the Panthers lost to the... To the try that again. Last week, the Panthers lost to the Lions 42-24, while the Dolphins defeated the Giants 31-16. Fast fact that the Dolphins have won their four games by an average margin of 18.5 points. Now, the Panthers are not playing good, period. They took an awful beating to the, from the Lions in Motown and now head to South Beach to face a Dolphins team that can light up a scoreboard with frightening regularity. Bryce Young will see his fellow Bama alum, Tua Tagovailoa, pick his defense apart from the word go, and though the Dolphins will be missing Devon and Chain, they still have plenty of tools to make this a long, hot day in the sun. I was tempted to make this the lock, but I still am very highly confident the Dolphins will roll here. The pick here is Miami. Next on the docket, we have the 5-0 49ers taking on the 2-2 Browns at Brown Stadium in Cleveland. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The 49ers are 5.5-point favorites. Last week, the 49ers defeated the Cowboys 42-10 while the Browns were on their bye. Now, make this make sense of the fast fact. The Niners have eight of the ten highest paid players at their respective positions, but still have the most cap room in the NFL. Go figure. Now, the Niners are coming off a spectacular primetime beatdown of the Cowboys. They head east to face the uneven Browns, who are coming off their bye. Now, normally, I'd be wary of a Western team coming east to play a 1 o'clock game, especially a team coming off of a bye. But the Niners are playing at a different level. Let's just call let's call it spade spade. And with the Browns not having Deshaun Watson at quarterback, they, the Browns are doubly compromised. I'm willing to overlook the whole West team going east to play a, a, a one o'clock game this time, given the teams that are playing. Now it won't be a beatdown like it was against Calvin, but I think Polk uh, against Polk. But I do think that the Niners will win the pick is San Francisco. Take time out, come back with the rest of the NFL Week 6 picks. Sports from the Hoodwood rolls on after this. Hi everyone, I'm KJ Green. If you're looking to reach a broad audience for your advertising dollar, look no further than where you are right now. You advertise right here in the Hoodwood. If you need spots created as well, Black Banner Productions Enterprises can create commercial content and drive sales and gets results. You can send your inquiries to ads at blackbannerproductions.com. Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises. Sound, ideas, and images, 21st century. From the Midwest, the internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You are back in the Hoodwood. Let's continue with the NFL Week 6 picks. Next on the docket, we have the 3-2 Saints against the 2-3 Texans at NRG Stadium in Houston. 1 o'clock kickoff on Fox. The Saints are 1.5-point favorites. Last week, the Saints defeated the Patriots 34-0, while the Texans lost to the Falcons 21-19. Fast fact here is Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud has thrown 186 passes without an interception. That's the most to start an NFL career. Now, the Saints laid out a stunning beatdown of the Pats in Foxborough and stay on the road to face C.J. Stroud and the Texans, 
whose fun ride had to end sometime as he lost a close one with the Falcons in the ATL. The Saints, while looking solid, are not going to be handing out road shutouts. They're going to be handing out a bunch of shutouts to begin with. Now, the Texans are growing into a handful and will stay in a few games, but they aren't quite ready to, make, to take down a solid defense like the Saints present. The pick here is New Orleans. Next on the docket, we have the 1-4 Patriots taking on the 2-3 Raiders at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. 4-5 kickoff on CBS. The Raiders are three-point favorites. Last week, the Patriots lost to the Saints 34-0, while the Raiders defeated the Packers 17-13. Fast fact, here's the 72 points that the Patriots have allowed in the last two weeks, or the most in a two-game stretch by any Belichick coach Patriots team. Now, the Pats are coming off their second straight thrashing in as many weeks and face a Raiders team that tried mightily to give away a winnable game last Monday night. This is a return to a house of horrors for the Patriots after last year's inexplicable walk-off loss to this very same squad last year. Bill Belichick might trust Mac Jones at quarterback right now, but I don't. Josh McDaniels might just start to think that he's got his old boss's number, the way the Patriots are playing and the way the Raiders might be able to get away with another game. The pick here is Las Vegas. Next on the docket, we have the 4-1 Lions taking on the 3-1 Buccaneers. At Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, 425 kickoff on Fox, the Lions are three-point favorites. Last week, the Lions defeated the Panthers 42-24, while the Buccaneers were on their bye. Fast fact here is the Lions are averaging 29.6 points a game and have 20 or more points in 14 straight games. That's a team record. Fresh off of a solid thumping of a Wobegon Panther squad, the Lions head south to face a rested Bucks team that has been playing better than expected. The Lions are getting the most mileage out of the junkyard dog runs of David Montgomery, the precision passing of Jared Goff, and a highly underrated defense. I still don't fully believe in Baker Mayfield. And though he looked sharp in a competent, in, in a competent defense against a competent defense of the Saints week four last, I think that the Lions defense is a little bit more than he's been ready to bargain for. The pick here is Detroit. Next on the docket, we have the 1-4 Cardinals against the 2-3 Rams at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Rams are seven-point favorites. Last week, Cardinals lost to the Bengals 34-20, while the Rams lost to the Eagles 23-14. Fast fact here is both teams have second-half issues. The Cardinals have been outscored 54-7 in the fourth quarter, while the Rams have been outscored in every quarter but the first. Now, the Cardinals got thumped by the Bengals in, at home and head to L.A. to face a fairly competent offense coming off of a stinging loss. The Cards keep catching teams not named Dallas at the very wrong time. Matthew Stafford and his bunch aren't the fearsome squad of yesteryear, but they are better than the Cards. The pick here is Los Angeles. Next on the docket, we have the 5-0 Eagles taking on the 3-2 Jets at MetLife Stadium in East Weatherford, New Jersey. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Eagles are seven-point favorites. Last week, Eagles defeated the Rams 23-14, while the Jets defeated the Broncos 31-21. Fast fact is that the Jets have never beaten the Eagles, winless in 12 meetings. Now, the Eagles grinded out a win in L.A., now come back cross-country for the first of their two visits to Gotham. The Jets are feeling good about themselves after smacking around a Wobegun Broncos team, but the Eagles will not make the same mistakes that the Broncos did. They're more talented, more disciplined on both sides of the ball, and clearly a better team. The Jets will put up a good fight, but the Eagles wear them down and get their 13th straight win against the Jets. The pick here is Philadelphia. The Sunday night game is the... What? Are you serious? Are you serious right now? The Giants are on primetime again? Snuffy. Snuffy doesn't even know. The 1-4 Giants take on the 3-2 Bills at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York on the Sunday night game, 20 on NBC. <laughs> the Bills are 14-point favorites. Last week, the Giants lost to the Dolphins 31-16, while the Bills lost to the Jaguars 25-20. Fast fact is the Giants have yet to score a touchdown in the first half of this season. Somebody, please, 
I was incredulous when I saw this on the docket, and I want somebody to explain this to me. How the hell the Giants keep ending up on prime time? Please! Isn't there something about a flex rule that you can flex undesirable teams? And it's taking nothing away from the Bills, a decent team in their own right. And I know that my Vikings are going to get flexed out of their November matchup against the Broncos. I've already committed that to something that's going to happen. But the Giants keep getting on prime time, and they keep getting poleaxed. I expected nothing less of this from a Bills team stung by an uneven game in London against Jags. In front of, at home, in front of their crazy crowd. I've been to Buffalo before. I've seen that crowd before. They're nuts. They're going to be thirsting for blood, and the, and the chance to act a fool on prime time and have the, have the Giants to punch around? Come on now. Fortunately, we won't have to see the Giants again in prime time till December. This is almost too easy to do. The Buffalo Bills are the Hoodwood Lock of the Week. Let's turn to the Monday night game, which is the 3-2 Cowboys against 2-2 Chargers at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. 8-15 game on ABC and ESPN. The Cowboys are two-point favorites. Last week, the Cowboys lost to the 49ers 41-10 while the Chargers were on their bye. Fast fact here is since 2021, the Cowboys are 9-1 in games immediately following a loss. Now, the Pokes got flat out embarrassed by a razor-sharp Niners team that was in no mood to play nice. They head down the West Coast for a rare meeting with the other L.A. team, the Chargers. The Chargers, for their part, Come out, had their bye come at a fortunate time as it gave Justin Herbert an extra week to nurse a fractured finger in his non-throwing hand. Herbert will be cheered by the return of Austin Eckler, who's coming off an ankle injury, and they will get and that will give the Pokes an alternative offensive threat to be concerned with. Still, I do think the visitors will do just enough to eke out a roll win. The pick is Dallas. And the Thursday quick pick, the Jaguars at the Saints at Caesars Superdome in New Orleans. That's an 8-15 game on Amazon Primetime. Jags one and a half point favorites. That pick will be New Orleans. And there you have it. Last week, I was 11-4 with the lock. Upset and Thursday night are correct. Overall, 47-32. 4 and one on the locks. 1-4 on the upsets. I finally got that new sake out of the upset column. We will take our final timeout, come back with the Hoodwood Hot Five, that adapted head slap, and the final word from the wood. Sports with the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this. Commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, KJ Green. Running third and headed for home here in the Hoodwood. We'll finish up strong as usual with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Dap Head Slap, 
And the final word from the wood. Now, the Hoodwood Hot Five has been for the past month or so has been the top five teams as determined by the Hoodwood Power Index, which is created by me. Me, myself, and I. It's five teams I think are the best in the country. Not necessarily in order of what the AP or the writers might think. So you might be surprised on who I think is the number one team in the country right now. Let's start out with who dropped out of the Hoodwood Hot Five. The Texas Longhorns, who were third in the Hoodwood Hot Five last week, they dropped out. They're now 5-1, 2-1 in the Big 12 after losing to Oklahoma 34-30. They are on a bye this week. Their next game is next Saturday against Houston. So in our Hot Five is actually six, because well, there are two teams that are tied at five this week. The Oregon Ducks and the Washington Huskies are both ranked fifth in my Hoodwood Hot Five poll. Last week, they were both on their respective buys, and their next game is against each other. That's right, the Ducks and the Huskies are going head up for control of the Pac-12, and I say whoever wins stays in the Hoodwood Hot Five because I think they're a legitimate top five team. Game's going to be playing in Seattle, 3.30, kickoff on ABC. Our number four ranked team in our Hoodwood Hot Five is Oklahoma Sooners. They're 6-0, 3-0 in the Big 12. They were not ranked in the Hoodwood Hot Five. They move in after defeating Texas 34-30. Their next game is against Central Florida at home in Norman. Our number three team is the Ohio State Buckeyes. They are 5-0, 2-0 in the Big 10. Last week, they moved up a spot from number four to number three. They are now ranked third. They defeated Maryland 37-17. Their next game is at Purdue. Our number two ranked team is the Georgia Bulldogs. They are 6-0, 3-0 in the SEC. Last week, they were number two and defeated University of Kentucky 51-13. Their next game is at Vanderbilt. And remaining the number one team, as they were last week, the Michigan Wolverines. They are 6-0, 3-0 in the Big Ten. They defeated Minnesota 52-10. Their next game is against Indiana in the Big House. That's the Hoodwood Hot Five. That's my Hot Five. What's yours? Now, our fat dap and head slap is pretty straightforward this week. Our fat dap of the week goes to Texas backup quarterback Arch Manning. Now, of course, you know the very famous Manning family of quarterbacks going from Archie to uh, Peyton and Eli, and Arch is uh, Peyton and Eli's nephew. Their older brother, Cooper, is oldest boy. Arch Manning has donated his NIL money, at least from his Panera card uh, advertisements that he's making over a million dollars. He's donating this money to the Ronald McDonald House in the Austin area. Now, say what you want about the Mannings. Some people have heard people talk about Archie Manning being an enabler and Peyton Manning and being a, a, a predator and Eli Manning being a drunk and this, this, and that. I don't care. I think what Archie Manning is, he's not hurting for money, but for him to be able to just say, you know what, let's take this money and make it worth something is a noble a noble deed in, indeed. And I give a hat tip and fat dap to Arch Manning. Our head slap of the week and when I saw this, and when I saw this happen Saturday, and it just was like, how? How did this happen? Okay, let me set the scene for you. The U, University of Miami, 5-0, unbeaten in conference, leading Georgia Tech. The Canes have the ball. Georgia Tech is out of timeouts, and Miami is milking the clock. They get a first down. They have the ball. Under two minutes to play. Now, there's no two-minute warning in, in college football. But, as you, you'll be seeing here on the screen, Miami has the ball. Georgia Tech has no timeouts. Why, in the name of cheeseburgers, are you running the ball? You have a first down. Georgia Tech has no timeouts. Have you heard of anything called a victory formation? Very simple formation. The quarterback takes a snap 
and takes a knee. There are players that are standing behind him, almost like kind of guarding him. Just in case if he fumbles the ball, they can pounce on the ball. But it's something that teams practice all the time. Well, apparently Miami doesn't practice this because they didn't know how to do the victory formation, which makes no sense. Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Miami, bungled his way through this. Now, Miami, with the ball, trying to run the ball, run out the clock. What could possibly go wrong? Hmm, let's take a look. You fumble the ball, and Georgia Tech gets the ball back. Now, you're thinking, okay, you've messed up on the offense. Let's try to pressure Georgia Tech into some bad throws, because you know they're going to throw it. You know they're going to throw it. I know they're going to throw it. Everybody in the whole damn world knows Georgia Tech's going to throw the ball. Why is Georgia Tech completing a pass? But still, the clock is running. Why isn't Miami making tackles? Why is Georgia Tech... Wait, no. Oh, no. Did that just happen? I'm, I'm, I'm. Seriously. Georgia Tech scores on the final play of the game. And this wasn't a Hail Mary. This was somebody got beat behind the defense. Why? Why in the name of rare stake are you not having four men standing on the goal line specifically to prevent somebody getting behind you and getting open like that? Why did this happen? Mario Cristobal deserves one of the biggest head slaps of the century for the gross failure and mismanagement of clock, of offense, and defense. This was a total team failure. Now, Miami's promising season has basically went in the toilet because they're not unbeaten anymore, and this loss against a middling Georgia Tech team is a bad loss. They're not going to be able to go undefeated. There was a game that they were looking to forward to against an unbeaten North Carolina team. That game has lost a whole lot of weight because Miami basically boo-booed in the bed and dropped a game that they really should not have lost. This was inexcusable. I don't understand how this happened. And Mario Cristobal is just looking like... It just, to me, makes absolutely no sense. And I hear people talk about, oh, well, these coaches don't know how to coach. They're paid to lose. They This is an abject failure. And this is inexcusable. People should get fired for stuff like this. Inexcusable. Head slap to the you who should have known better, Mario Cristobal, who I thought was a decent coach, coaching his alma mater, and failing like this. Just absolutely inexcusable. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. mentioned on these airwaves before about about NIL deals and how I think that players being able to market themselves and make money off of their own name, image, and likeness, what NIL stands for, is a good thing. Though I think it has a tendency to kind of be Wild Westish at times, but it is interesting to see big name players like a Caleb Williams, like a Shador Sanders, um, like a, uh, Caleb Williams, yeah, it was Caleb Williams that won the Heisman. Try that again. But it is interesting to see these players, these name players, being able to say, hey, isn't that a college player? Yeah, but they're doing commercials. And I've seen it from the grand scale of Caleb Williams doing Wendy's commercials to Shador Sanders uh, with his father 
Deion Sanders doing yogurt commercials to something a little bit lo more local, like Dante Corleone being able to hawk hamburgers. And I've had the Godfather burger, and it's very good, by the way. Still, there are still elements of a kind of a wild, wild west mentality. You know, players making buku money to be able to get advertising dollars, which I don't have a problem with. And there are players who are making more money in college than they might make in the pros, if they make the pros. Caleb Williams has openly said if he doesn't like who has a top draft pick in the 2024 draft, he's not coming out of school. That is kind of leverage that is a bit frightening, but it is interesting to say the very least. Now, you have coaches who are not, and when I say not a fan of NILs, they know what's happening. They know players are getting the kind of money that they were the ones that were normally getting. But now the, the aspect of control and the, well, lack of a better word of saying it, just control that these coaches have over these players is a little bit lacking now. It's starting to fade. Gone are the days where a coach's word is law. With the transfer portal and NIL deals, Players aren't going to be as apt to be afraid of coaches as they once were. Is that a good thing? I'm not very sure. But the sniping that coaches are doing now is starting to get a little tiresome. Uh, Mark Stoops of UK talked openly about after his team got absolutely poleaxed by Georgia that Georgia could buy some good players and he openly campaigned for Kentucky to be able to buy good players of his own. Didn't that get UK in trouble at one time in the late 80s paying players? It's food for thought. That being said, the whole thing is getting tiresome. Coaches are not going to have the kind of control. And once this Pandora's box has been opened, it's not going to be easily closed. NCAA is trying to do some kind of regulation to try to rein this type of NIL you know, madness in. And it's not necessarily madness. It's about who's getting what. The NCAA is seeing a gigantic piece of pie that they once had. Now other people are getting it. Namely, the players that they are making the whole bunch, lot of money off of. The players are now getting theirs. And now the aspect of control, whether it's coaches or the NCAA, is no longer there. And that in itself is frightening. Is it a good thing? I can't be really sure. We're going to have to go five, ten years down the road before we can really look at the aspect that the impact of this has had. But for now, it is very crazy. And watching this happen, not only on a local scale, on a micro scale, but a macro scale, can make anybody puzzle. You would think that the players that were involved that got SMU the death penalty some 40 years ago are looking at going, damn. We just were born a little too early on this. And that is the final word from the wood. Now with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the hood wood is just about done. And I thank you so much for your visit again this week. Now the email for the show is kjgreen at sportsfromthehoodwood.com. Please send me emails regarding show topics, both past and future, questions, comments on the show, both praise and criticism. I welcome your correspondence and I will try to get back to you in a timely manner. Now, the show's website is sportsmanhoodwit.com. It has a back catalog of the show dating back to 11 years in both audio and video form, so you can check out that if there are any shows that you may have missed. You can join the debate and conversation on the Sportsman Hoodwit page on Facebook. That also has a video version, podcast, simulcast, as well as other, other topics, funny stuff that I find on the web, and plenty of great sports debate, and lots more. I post often there, and I do respond to member posts frequently. Now, the video versions are on YouTube. Please hit that subscribe and smash that like button for more great content. Now, the link to this podcast is also at this show's travel feed, which is at Goodwood Sports. There's a host of interesting stuff I find on the web as well, and you can correspond to me there, and I will correspond back. I do like and follow quite frequently. Now, the audio version of the 
show is on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Apple, and a host of other fine podcast platforms and providers. If the Hoodwin is not on your favorite, please do ask for it. Drop me a line, and I will do what I can to see if I can get it on that platform provider. Special thanks, as always, go to Ray Pictures for their continued assistance in production and website development. So, that's the show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Until next time, from the Hoodwood fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.